This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. He has his own laws. He has his own laws. He's a law himself. He's not concerned for the word of God, nor is he concerned for the spiritual truth. And divisive, he is uh, not concerned about unity. And you have many people like that. I've come across many. Yeah, they'll be likable, nice people. They'll be saved, but they're divisive. They stir up division in the church because they go by their own laws. God desires for there to be unity in His body of believers. Today, you learn from Pastor Eddie's message about the importance of peacekeeping. At all costs, try to live peacefully with others. Try to keep the unity between all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pastor Eddie explains that those that don't follow the ways of God can be extremely divisive within the body. Work hard to uphold unity and not division within the church. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Titus chapter 3. As he continues his message, Rights Living. When we accepted Christ, we've been saved, washed, our sins have been washed away, we're given a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. It's not anything we've done. Nothing you can do to get you saved except, except Jesus Christ. Except Jesus Christ, Lord, in person. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says this, but by, the, but by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works. We're talking about works and salvation. Lest anyone should boast. We don't work. for It's been done on the cross already. But we, the result of us being saved and have this in our hearts, Christ in our hearts, we do the good works. It's a reflection of who Christ is. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The immediate result result of regeneration, having been justified by grace, is that we now do the works of God. We do good works. Because no one, absolutely no one, no man can stand righteous before God without Christ. No one can stand righteous. Why? Because Romans chapter 3 verse 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. Isaiah 64 verse 6 it says the, Isaiah writes this but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness you want to know your righteousness and all our righteousness are like filthy rags our righteousness the best that you can do is filthy rags the best you can do but praise God we put on his righteousness right we are righteous 
because of Christ. We're righteous positionally because of who Christ is. We put on his righteousness. That doesn't mean we're perfect or sinless, but because of Christ. No one can stand righteous before God unless they have been justified through Christ. You know, we use that theological term, justification by faith. You know, we, we've been justified by faith. Just as Abraham, we're studying Genesis, the book, we're studying Abraham. Abraham, it says, the Lord said he believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It's an accounting term counted to him as righteousness because he believed. Now, believe is great. Yeah, we say, oh, I believe in God. There are people, they believe, it's, if you define their belief, they acknowledge there is a God. But, you know, I love what James says. You believe in God? Great. That's good. Even the demons believe. What's the difference between your belief and the demons? Right? And we know there's not a demon who's an atheist. They all know there's a God. The point is, you believe, but it should be a reflection in your life, living a godly life, doing the good works, living, having a right living. And once we've been justified, we come through Christ, only Christ. John 14, uh, verse 6, as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And once we've been justified by, by his grace, through faith, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This hope is an expectation. The confidence that because we believe in Christ, we have eternal life. Christians who have placed their faith in Christ, who are born again, we do not cease to exist once our spirit leaves our body. We don't, really, we don't die. We pass on. That's why we need to be born again. We pass on. Because Jesus said, Jesus said, if you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. So, you know, we have eternal life, but we have this hope, this expectation. You know what troubles me? It breaks my heart that there are Christians who are afraid of death. They're afraid of death. How can Christians be afraid of death? If you took a glimpse of heaven, see our glorified Jesus sitting on the throne, you would not want to be here. You would say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Take me now. You know, oh, you know what? I think I want to be, um, you know, working the circus and, uh, you know, work, you know, walking the type, you know, that tight wire, right? Because if I fall, I'm going to heaven. I might get to home heaven quicker. Don't fear death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Christ conquers sin and death. How can, and if, let me tell you, I, I'm not here to knock you down, but if you do have a concern of death and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you really need to examine your relationship with the Lord and the promises God has given you in the word. Because the ultimate goal is, that this is nothing, this is all going to fade away. Absent in the body to be a present with the Lord. Why are we afraid of death? Bring it. <laughs> Jesus, take me quickly. Well, Listen to my wife's prayer first. She might need me. I don't know. Take me, Lord. We shouldn't worry about it. We shouldn't worry about death. So we, we have this hope of eternal life. This, if we only knew. Paul, he said, I don't know if the experience was, you know, I saw heaven, but to describe what's in heaven, consider it a crime. Yet we have books and movies. Be careful with those people who have those out-of-body experiences. I'm not saying those things are not true. Those things can happen. But be careful how they take it. 
and how much they, you know, Paul said, Paul did not, Paul was inspired, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he, think, he, he thought if he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he would have wrote down his experience of heaven. But he said, consider it a crime, because what you, it's, it's, it's impossible to describe heaven. If you can describe heaven, then it's an ugly heaven. Let's put it that way. Shouldn't fear death. Verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to all men. Again, the evidence the unbeliever in this world has that you and I belong to God is how we live, godly. That's the evidence. They should say there has to be a God. Look at Eddie. If God could save Eddie, he could save anybody. Let alone use him. (laughs) It's evidence that there is a God. We must maintain good works. We must constantly, you notice the theme here. It's out there. Again, it's not for man is not to glorify man. It's not for you to get a pat on the back where you show people, oh, yeah, yeah, I just witnessed the gospel to somebody. Yeah, they, yeah, I brought them to church. No, God gets the glory. God gets the glory, and they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, good works here, obviously, in the context of Scripture, we all... Work, some of us have ministry in the church, okay? We do work, you know, religious work, whatever. I don't mean religious in that sense, but work. But he's not necessarily talking about that. He's talking about the works outside. Outside, because he said, what he said at the the end of verse 8, he says, these things are good and profitable to men. It's talking about people outside. It's, it's good. It's profitable. They may come to Christ because of the works you do on behalf of Jesus Christ. And if we serve in the church, praise the Lord. We all should be serving in the church. We all should be serving in the church. You know, a church that everybody's not serving in the church, and everybody has their own. Some people have their own thing, their own agenda. They want to do their own thing. That's fine. Praise the Lord. But a church, everybody works together. There's a vision. There's a goal. And can you imagine, uh, you, it, it, I don't know how many of you have broken an arm, and, and oh, there's a part of your body you can't use for a certain time and season because you were sick or you were injured, whatever it is. You know what it feels like when your whole body is not functional. Can you imagine a church that's not functional because some people don't want to serve? But that's another thing. However, Paul is talking about doing good works so that it would be good and profitable to all men, all men, doing good works so that it would be good and profitable for those who are outside the church. And so, after Paul tells us, do what is good, the good works, in verses 1 to 8, now we're going to look at verses 9 through 11, avoid dissension. He said, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. Why? But they are unprofitable and Useless. Useless. The opposite is, we're to teach sound doctrine. That's what he's been telling us. If you teach sound doctrine, people learn. But what's foolishness is, you know, the disputes, genealogies, striving about the law, the Jewish law, all these things. What's unprofitable unprofitable and useless is foolish talk. And again, foolish is the word moron. 
moronic. So you would say these disputes are moronic, moronic disputes. People ask questions. Oh, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll ask you questions. And again, the interactions with those outside in the world. And you got those that they just want to play with you. Oh, is your God? I'm not here. <laughs> if your God, if your God, they'll say, if your God's so big that he can create a rock bigger than he can carry, the question is this. The answer is this, actually. My God is big enough to create a big rock, and he's big enough to carry it. But those are silly questions. Avoid those things. So he said, those are silly. Silly. It's really uh, foolish questions. Avoid genealogies, you know, spiritual pedigrees. The Jews, some of the Jews would say, and this is what Paul instructed Timothy, or, you know, people would say, oh, yeah, well, I'm from the line of David, the line of the tribe of Judah. Or I'm from the Levitical priesthood, you know. Yeah, so I'm in. I'm going to heaven. You have Christians, uh, the people, well, I'm going to heaven because my, you know, my father was a pastor or whatever, <laughs> you know. No, it doesn't matter. You, everyone has to give an account. We all will stand before the Lord. And you have to answer to the Lord. You yourself have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord of person. Say, you must follow him, not because your parents or your great or your great great. Or somebody in your genealogy was the high priest or even the pope. And this is what Paul said. It doesn't matter contentions and striving about the law. Yeah, they start, all the laws that have been added on, the Jews have added 13 chapters to the Sabbath. 13 chapters. You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. You can't spit on the ground because, I hate to be gross, your saliva works and is making mud. That's why Jesus, when he healed the blind man, he spat on the ground. Oh yeah, my saliva is actually going to work and I'm going to work. So Jesus could say, hey, gave the sight to the man, but because the men in black were in town, they were watching. It's a Sunday. Oy vey, Jesus forgot it was Sunday or the Sabbath, Sabbath, Saturday. He spat on the ground. I'm going to heal it. Made some mud. There's some work. Put it in the man's eye. Go wash it. He, he got his sight back. He's, all these people just add to the laws. And they're arguing about the law. You know, it's sad to see that we waste time in foolish discussions and all kinds of, you know, things that are just totally right. They're non-essentials, actually. Non-essentials. You know, somebody, I'm a pre-tribber. There are those that I know that are not. They think we're going to go to here. Great, praise the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not saved. You have those that are post-trib. Oh, Jesus is going to come right after the great tribulation. Hey, you know, you believe in Jesus Christ. You accept him as Lord. You've repented of your sins. You're saved. It doesn't matter. Then you have the, the you know, you have the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and the pan-trib. The guy that says, I don't know how it's going to end it up. It's just God's going to pan it out. Whoever pans out in the end, I'm down with that. But the point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't take away salvation. You're going to all find out that we're right when we get raptured. <laughs> anyway, we, I remember there was a time when I was pastoring church in the city, and um, we got another hour, don't worry about it. Uh, and uh, I had this guy who was attending our fellowship, and he had um, a hyper-Calvinistic view. Loved the guy, loved him dearly. But I said, hey, listen, you want to believe that, you take the train, I take the plane. You know what I mean? I believe that God forbid that any man should perish. 
and and he was just causing division. I said, everybody that left this guy's conversation, they said, man, it's like a mental gymnastic. I don't know if I'm saved or not saved, you know. Oh, am I predestined? Am I chosen? I said, wow. And I had to, you know, just tell him, listen. I had to tell him to, you know, he, has to, he had to leave. And I told him in a nice way because he wasn't really being encouragement. But it's the constant discussions about silly things. Let's just stick to the word of God. Verse 10 and 11, it says, Rejected the, the, the divisive man after the first and second ammunition. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned, divisive is only mentioned here. This word is only mentioned here is, is the Greek word heretikos. And it, it is, 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 we could always say in English, heretic. And it's just a person that really is fictitious, who um, uh, uh, is a follower of his own doctrine, and doesn't care about the doctrine of the word of God, wouldn't even follow, you know, godly leaders who obey the word of God. But he has his own laws. He has his own laws. He's a law himself. He's not concerned for the word of God, nor is he concerned for the spiritual truth. And divisive, he is uh, not concerned about unity. And you have many people like that. I've come across many. Yeah, they'll be likable, nice people. They'll be saved, but they're divisive. They stir up division in the church because they go by their own laws. Paul gives it, tells us, give a one warning, a second warning. After that, reject them. It means having nothing to do with them anymore. He he goes on to even he wrote to the church of Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians chapter three, verses fourteen to fifteen. He says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle. Note that person, acknowledge that that person, and do not keep company with him, that he might be ashamed. Yet, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Do not keep him company, but when you do, encourage him and say, listen, if you want to talk about this, you know, talk to the person you have a problem with, number one. <laughs> but be right, because according to scripture, this is what the Bible says. Second John, second, John's second epistle, verse 10, is only one chapter. Verse 10 is, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him in your, home, your house, nor greet him. And you may say, wait a minute, but I want to be loving. I want to be Christian. Well, that's good, but there's wisdom. Number one, we have to be obedient to the word of God. That's number one. And there's wisdom as to why we should receive these people into the house. You bring someone in, say a Jehovah Witness, you know, and you figure you're going to lead them to the Lord because you brought them into your house. Your neighbors are probably say, oh, I think they were Jehovah Witness. Because he had Jehovah Witness. They were knocking on my door. I told them, get out of here, you know. I was one time a Christian, but they allowed Jehovah Witness in their home. Or your children, your young children would hear something from them and may believe. Why would you bring that in your house? But there, there is wisdom in that because the word also tells us why we should avoid. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul writes this. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. There are a lot. I was just going to give you one more uh, a verse. A proverb chapter 13, verse 20. It says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the company of fools will be destroyed. Is don't think that you're so mature theologically, biblically, or spiritually that you cannot be deceived. Lucifer was in heaven. He was in the presence of God. Judas walked with Jesus. 
don't be deceived, but also is not helping the person that needs help, the one that is divisive, and it's not helping the other church. It sends a wrong message. And if you are to be obedient with the word of God, you need to follow it. The absence of divisiveness, there is unity. Matter of fact, that was Jesus' prayer. The, the Lord's prayer, the real Lord's prayer is not, um, thy kingdom come, that will be done. That's Jesus' instruction. Because if you read it before, the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus showed us how to pray. And Jesus gave them the instruction. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He gave them instruction. But if you want Jesus' prayer, is in John chapter 17. Read the whole chapter. But I just want to read verses 20 to 21. Jesus prays and he says to the Lord, I do not pray for these only. He's talking about the disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their words. And that will be us. He's praying for us here. You want to see how Jesus prayed for the disciples and prayed for you, the church? Here it is. But also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, all of us, one accord, the book of Acts, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. We are called to be united, but that's opposite of those who are being divisive. And so that's verses uh, 9 through 11. Now verses 12 to 15, Paul, final instruction, his greeting. He's closing his letter. He says in verse 12, when I send Artemis, now not much is known about Artemis. His name is only mentioned here, so we don't know much about him. We obviously know he's a believer in Christ. Uh, He said, when I send Artemis and Tychicus, uh, we know Tychicus, he was uh, an accompany, uh, he accompanied Paul in his third minis- uh, missionary journey. And he served with Paul uh, with the church of Ephesus, Colossae, and also Crete here. He said, be diligent to come to me in Nicopolis, for I have uh, decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer. <laughs> if anybody needs a lawyer, it would be the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he needs a lawyer. He's always in jail. <laughs> Apollos, he was a, a, a Jewish believer uh, from Alexandria and a preacher. So he says, send Zenos, the, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may lack nothing, verse 14. And let our people also learn to maintain good works. He's closing, and he's, it's like he can't say it enough. Maintain good works to meet urgent needs. And those who, you know, right living is the good works, hospitality, uh, to care for the sick, the afflicted. Um, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Verse 15. And finally, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Pastor Eddie is working through the book of Titus. When it comes to running the race, the book gives us clear, sound advice for living, like in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, which say, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That's just one small piece of the wisdom buried in the book of Titus. Pastor Eddie has a lot more to share with you, so be sure to come back again. Are you learning as much as I am from these messages? Want to be a part of sharing the good news through this ministry? Jessica is here to share with you how to step in. Prayers for this ministry would be so appreciated. 
The opportunity for the lost to be reached over the radio is incredible. So please pray for our listening audience and that what's shared will alter people's lives forever. Another way you can support us is by prayerfully considering giving in a financial way. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into producing this program. And we're grateful for all who are willing to come alongside us to support the creation of each program. If you feel led to do this, you can find a Give tab at runningtheraceradio.com. If you missed that website, it was runningtheraceradio.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Calvary Chapel of Milford, just click Back to Homepage. Thanks for being here with us today on Running the Race.